Okay, on to cutting. So reminder for schedule um, recitation Monday is Tomas on Fab Cities, cities producing what they consume, a really exciting collaboration. And this week, after lots of run up, we're now finally making things. So this week is on cutting tools. And we're going to loop back to this. This is in two-dimensional cutting. Um, next week, you'll do precision machining to make circuit boards. And then a few weeks out, you'll do large format machining. And then a few weeks after that, you'll do um, 3D machining to make molds. And so this week is on two-dimensional cutting. The homework assignment is um, a number of the weeks I'm going to have a starting group assignment you do together and then individual ones. And so the group assignment is going to be characterizing your laser cutter, and I'll explain that. The individual assignment is first to vinyl cut something and then to laser cut a construction kit with a parametric design. And um, just to have an image of what we're heading towards this week, um, this was a really fun version of this week's assignment. Um, this is a marble track construction kit. And so, for example, um, uh, this, this is a binary counter made with the marble construction kit made by laser cutting cardboard, which was a nice version of this week's assignment. Uh, the, the source files for this assignment is missing. Is there like any other place that we can find it? Oh, um, here, just to remind me, send me that as a note and I'll forward it to the person who did this assignment to check with him. Okay, cool. Okay, so there's a lot to cover. First, types of tools. And so one type of tool cuts with a knife. And so a common tool we use is this roll-in vinyl cutter. And I'll explain why this is probably the most useful, most ignored tool in your lab. Um, this can do anything you can cut with a knife, and it's one of the most versatile tools. There's a wide range of things you can do with it. And these commercial ones are maybe $1,000. Um, to compare, um, in the lab I run at MIT, this is a $100,000 cutter, and these are crazy. You could buy a whole fab lab for one of these, but what they do is they have multiple heads, and they have multiple degrees of freedom, and they go really fast, and they have a moving bed, and so this is a $100,000 cutter, and so these are used for things like carbon fiber or luxury leather or complex cardboard displays, um, and at the other limit, um, this was a machine made by former students at other lab. And so this is a few hundred dollar version, which is a cutter, but the knife, the direction is powered and it can, it's uh, powered vertically. And so this is a low end version of the high end tool as a DIY cutting tool. Um, so that, that's, I'm gonna spend a while on this. This is one of the most useful tools. Um, then we come to laser cutters. The laser cutter is probably the most popular tool in your lab for good reason. Um, there's a number of vendors 
we work with in fab labs. Epilog is one, Universal is one, um, Trotech is one, uh, GCC. They're all good friends of the fab lab network. These machines start around $10,000 and go up to tens of thousands of dollars. Um, that's the main focus today. These are robust, well-supported commercial machines. On one end then, there's more sort of DIY ones. So these little hobbyist machines, um, uh, this, this is maybe about $5,000. And then this is a machine construction open source kit project that gets down to sort of $1,000 scale ballpark, um, emerging DIY laser cutters. There's a lot of dangerous, bad DIY laser cutters. So you have to approach that with care and I'll talk about safety and a few good ones. Then at the opposite limit, the students, former students uh, from my lab who made the other cutter went on and did this machine, which is about $60,000. And this is a fiber laser, I'll explain the difference. And this can do metal cutting uh, that uh, smaller lasers can't do. Um, this is a very expensive kind of laser cutter I have that does micro machining down to um, tens of um, microns. And then an even crazier laser I use in my research is this one is a femtosecond laser where the pulses are so short and they're so intense, they actually disassemble the material on an atomic scale. And this lets you do laser cutting down to microns, to, to millions of a meter, um, without in any way damaging the materials. But these are $100,000 type uh, lasers again. So we'll, we'll focus today on the $10,000 type laser cutters. Um, plasma cutters are interesting. Forest Scientific makes them. They're a good friend of Fab Labs. Um, Torchmates, early on we used to put in Fab Labs. Um, these cut with the plasma. And so they let you cut metal, um, which is what's nice. Um, what's not nice is it's a pretty dramatic process. You get this plume of plasma shooting out molten metal, and there's post-processing. It, it, um, these are getting better, but they don't make perfectly clean cuts. There's still um, uh, generally a fair amount of post-processing to clean up after them. And in Fab Labs, we found they were fairly dangerous. Um, Water jets are wonderful. Um, these cuts with a supersonic jet of water with a garnet abrasive. And what's so great about them is they can cut anything, glass, steel, ceramic, just any material pretty much whatsoever. Um, and so these are beginning to replace a number of other tools. Um, but Omax and Flow, the main vendors, these are $100,000 machines. They're, they're very high barrier to entry. Um, the other limit is uh, there's a consumable. You have to keep putting garnet in and taking garnet sludge out, out of them. Um, a very interesting thing that's emerging now is Wazer is a DIY water jet. Um, and let's see, I think they have some uh, demo videos of um, this is aimed at about a $5,000 class water jet cutter to work on a desktop. And it's just emerging um, uh, from Kickstarter development and coming out. 
And this is, um, it's, it's a very promising approach to bringing water jet cutting down to Fab Lab scale. And I expect uh, that's going to be coming in the next year or so, become a common part of Fab Labs to add water jet cutting. Um, hot wire cutters are interesting. Um, these heat a wire and you move the ends around. And there are a couple um, commercial vendors. And the killer app for these is things like architectural decorations and um, special effects. You can't work with very hard materials, but you can make foam forms out of them with complex shapes. Um, and that's an easy DIY thing, do it yourself. So this is um, a former student's um, putting together machine building parts. And what they're doing here is um, connecting a few degrees of freedom in a machine, then adding a wire. And then you just put a current through a resistive wire. It's very easy to make a hot wire. And then they were using this to make airfoils for wind tunnel testing for a NASA visitor. And so you can just plot and foam and then make shapes. So that's an easy do-it-yourself. And then another $100,000-plus machine is wire EDMs cut with a plasma, a little sparks made from a wire. And those cut deep cuts of metal with very little kerf. Kerf is the material left behind that can be just a few thousandths of an inch. And um, one of my students did a first attempt at using an EDM to make an EDM. And so this is the first version of a do-it-yourself EDM. It doesn't really work yet, um, but it's, it, it's a project in development. And so this is an interesting tool to do things like if you want to make a machine, there's precision machine parts, like the guides and bearings. And you can use this to make precision machine parts um, uh, for machine building. So we're going to focus on the vinyl cutter and the laser cutter. Now, for this week, you're going to, if you go back to the construction kit um, and take this example, these parts fit together. And the dimensions vary with the thickness of the cardboard. And so a key dimension is if your cardboard is a little thicker or thinner, you have to change the whole design around it. So this is an important week to be parametric. So to do that, I'm going to go back and show tools I did last week, but go through the parametric part. Um, and so uh, in FreeCAD, um, for that example, uh, what I'm going to show is, here, here's one of my parts. I'm going to make a slot. Uh, I'll cut out the parts I don't want. And then I'm making constraints. And so right now there's no constraints. Um, so if I um, move a node, it just moves. So one thing I can do is make an equality constraint that says I want all of those to be the same length. I can make those the same length. 
then I'll make those the same length. And this is stuff I showed last week, but I'm going to focus in on the parameter part in a minute. So now having done that, so those are all linked now. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick a segment. I'm going to give it a dimension. So now it has a number. And so I can edit that number. And when I edit that one number, all those segments change. So that number has become a parameter in my design. And then um, I can move that in 3D. Um, so that was the extrusion to 3D. Um, but then the crucial thing, oh, I, I don't know if I show it in this video, um, is you can also then, uh, I think this was a different video, um, you can add it, um, you can add a spreadsheet. I think I showed that last week um, uh, in the design class. If we go to, um, let me take a minute. I thought I did this last week. No, maybe I, maybe I didn't do that. I thought I did. Um, what you can do is you can um, add a spreadsheet that has a formula that calculate how the dimensions relate. And then you pick up that formula in the design. Okay, so that's one way to be parametric. Um, Fusion and SolidWorks are both from the bottom up parametric. Um, in Anemone, in that example, um, I showed last week the parameter was here. So right now I'm adding a node and this node gives me a variable. And then I'm gonna take the variable that node is giving me and using it in an expression. And then if I edit that node, it changes the whole design. So, for this week, you need one of these tools that lets you design your project where properties like the thickness of the cardboard and how close you want to make the, the tolerance. For example, in a hard material, you can't compress it. In a softer material, you can compress it more. You want those properties to be a global parameter, and then the details of the design changes throughout. So for this week, you need to use a parametric design tool. So you're going to make your design, and um, once you make your design, you'll end up, say, with something like this. And then that makes this kit. And so then we need to do CAM. And so CAM is taking a design um, and uh, turning it into a path. And so this is taking the alien and cutting it on the vinyl cutter or cutting it on a laser cutter. So we need to turn it into a path for the machine. Uh, each of the commercial machines comes with a typically a printer driver. Um, so you print to the machine and that sounds obvious. Um, I'm not a fan of the printer drivers. And the reason is each machine has a different kind of notion of the print driver the print drivers build in assumptions about how you're going to use the machine. And there's a lot of configuration. You have to click through lots of menus to set up the print driver. 
And so over a number of years, I've ended up just writing my own interfaces to machines to talk to them directly. And so a current version of that is um, called mods. And so for each of the machines, um, you can talk to the print driver directly, just use it as a print driver, or you can bypass that. And, and the vendors we work with provide to us low-level access so we can prepare commands directly for the machine. And so um, uh, if you wanted to say um, vinyl cut, this is now in mods. In fact, here's that design. And then I'm going to calculate. And so what I just did is this went through a series of processing steps. And then this is the path for the vinyl cutter. And then this is a little module that um, outputs it for the vinyl cutter. But if you wanted to do uh, the same thing, but on a laser cutter, um, I'll bring in that design. We'll calculate it. Again, um, here's what the laser is going to do. Um, and then this module just prepares it for the laser cutter and sets it to it. And so this is an open framework that lets you build workflows to talk to the machines directly, bypassing the print drivers. And so for each of the machines you're using, um, typically there'll be an option to use a print driver or use this to interface directly to it. So now we come to the machines. The vinyl cutter uh, is, um, again, pretty easily the most useful machine in your lab that's going to be ignored the most. So here's a great use of the vinyl cutter in, in the class. Um, uh, this is a self-flapping crane. It's an origami crane that uh, can bend its own wings. And this is all done on the vinyl cutter. So you start with the material. Um, what she's done is she's used the vinyl cutter to cut copper to make the circuit, put it on this material, and then use the vinyl cutter to plot the, the corrugations to fold the crane. And so the whole, the whole project was done just by vinyl cutting. Um, Let's see. I just closed my window. Um, sorry, I need to. I just uh, closed the window into the desktop. I need to restart it. Um, Okay, good. So with the vinyl cutter, the obvious thing you can do is make signs. Um, so a killer app for this week is stickers for your laptop. Um, you can cut thermal transfer letters to make graphics on clothing. Uh, you can make uh, pop-up cards. Um, you can do origami or kirigami to fold. Um, you can screen print. Um, uh, 
when we set up the Bhutan fab lab, um, one of the first things we taught them was screen printing. You use a vinyl cutter to cut out a shape that you squeegee ink over, and then they immediately went into production and made the uh, Bhutan Fab Lab shirts uh, by screen printing. Um, you can make flexible multi-layer circuits. Uh, you can make antennas, all just with the vinyl cutter. So in the standard Fab Lab inventory, um, there's a number of materials that we, we source for them that are a little bit non-obvious. And here, I have them here, I'll grab them. Um, uh, materials like this are just vinyl. You cut it and it makes a sign. Um, materials like this one looks like vinyl, but it's very different. Um, this one is 3M number one. And so 3M1 epoxy. Um, this is a cast epoxy film, not vinyl, that we have made into wide rolls. And it's much stronger, and you can use it at higher temperatures. And so that's good for things like making flexible circuits. Um, this material is uh, copper with an electrically conducting glue. And so you can make shiny things. It's much more expensive than the vinyl. But the real use of this is you can cut out circuits. Um, you can make connectors. You can make wiring. Um, you can make antennas. And this ground material is frequently misunderstood. This is called a transfer adhesive. The way this works is um, this is a regular adhesive. It's just tape. And we use that to lift material off, which I'll explain. This material looks like tape, but what it has is glue that doesn't want to stick. And so if you have something that you want to put a backing on, uh, like something you've printed, you put this on it, you go through the vinyl cutter, and then when you peel the backing away, it leaves the adhesive on the material. So you can make any material adhesive back because you can transfer the adhesive from this to the other material. So that's called a transfer adhesive. And so those are all standard materials for the vinyl cutter um, when we set up fab labs. Uh, um, another nice use of uh, vinyl cutting is um, if you vinyl cut um, in a soft material like vinyl, um, you can then sandblast. And so you put it on glass, and then you abrade it. You shoot sand at it and then you can etch uh, glass with it. So those are all the things you can do with the vinyl cutter. Um, the reason it's less popular is there's some skill. So if we go back to this example, um, we're going to be making lots of electronics in the class. And what's happening here is you plot the circuit in the copper and then you transfer it. 
but it's not automatic. You don't just push print. There's skill. So you have to set the force the knife pushes in. And so if we take the vinyl cutter, inside the tip of the vinyl cutter is a, is a knife. And you have to set the force it pushes down. Um, you have to set the extension. You can probably barely see it. You have to set how far out the knife sticks. If it's um, too little, it doesn't cut through the material. But if it's too deep, it cuts all the way through and shreds it. If you don't push enough, you don't go through. If you push too hard, you shred it. You have to set how fast you cut with the material. And all of those settings change. They depend on how old the material is, on the temperature of the day. They vary with the humidity. And so there isn't a single setting. You have to do a test cut. Um, and then when it comes out, what you have is you have the material, the copper or whatever you want. Um, and then it's on the backing and you've traced it. But you need to pull out the part you don't want to leave the part you do want. And that's called weeding. And so there's a little skill in that. What you typically do is you take the masking tape, you transfer everything off, apply it onto the final material you want to put it on, then you pull away the material you don't want. And when you're weeding, you, um, you don't lift straight up. What you want to do is curl it away. Because if you lift up, you're trying to pull everything away. If you curl the material away, if you shear, it helps the material stick down. You don't want to do the weeding on the roll. So you take it out of the vinyl cutter. The material doesn't want to stick to its backing. So you put everything on the final substrate, and then you peel it away there. And there's some skill in learning how to weed. Um, a good example of that is, let's see, in the uh, class, the MIT fab class, I remember a, a student did a really nice assignment for um, this week. Um, I'm pretty sure it's this week. Yeah. OK, so um, you're going to make a programmer next week. What, you, what he's showing here is he actually made his programmer with a vinyl cutter in 3D wrapped around a cube. And he, um, he has a nice demo video um, showing you vinyl cut first. Um, then you transfer the tra you, you you pull everything off and you transfer the traces and um, if we go back here he has a nice video of all the steps of making it and so with the vinyl cutter in this case making circuitry you can actually wrap it around objects you can extrude it it can be bending it can be flexible but there's a number of steps in the process I'll add a link to um, uh, his page. Uh, he has some nice demo videos showing that process. So there's skill to learn. Some people fall in love with it and do much of the classwork on the vinyl cutter. 
many people don't like the skill you need. Um, but um, so the killer app for a vinyl cutter is custom stickers on your laptop lid. Um, what I want you to do this week is make anything on the vinyl cutter. Just get acquainted with it, learn to cut something out. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. The uh, but yeah. But in fact, before I leave the vinyl cutter, one other thing I'll mention is uh, you. It, um, we're going to cover multiple ways to make circuit boards, but one of the interesting things you can do um, with the vinyl cutter is here's a circuit board, but we need a few more layers on it. So there's the traces, then this is the epoxy film, and then there's another layer cut on the vinyl cutter, and you can use the vinyl cutter to lay up multiple layers of electronics. Okay, so again, that's vinyl cutting. Just make anything. Just get meet your vinyl cutter and cut something out on it. So now we come to the laser cutter. The laser cutter is justifiably the most popular tool in the lab. Um, uh, you can use it to mark, to engrave, to cut. Um, you in marking, you can do it in a raster mode where you just go back and forth or in a vector mode where you follow a path. Um, and by varying the power, you can cut all the way through. You can make deep lines or you can make light lines. Um, and so you can engrave on things. Um, you can screen print. Um, and so, uh, I happen to have this example here. So at a distance, let's see, if I catch the light here, you'll see Michelangelo's David. And if I come up really close, what you'll see is um, it's made out of a lot of little holes. And um, those are made by turning the image into a halftone pattern. And what's interesting about half-toning like this is it lets you do, with only either making a dot or not a dot, you can do a half-tone image. And then you could use this to screen print, to do grayscale screen printing. Or um, these are beautiful if you illuminate them behind so light comes through just by making the dots bigger or smaller. These glow beautifully. So they let you make like half-tone images that glow. And then the main focus this week is uh, press fit construction, uh, snap together constructions. And so this is, uh, this is called GIC, which is, I was showing my daughter, Grace, how to use a laser cutter when she was young. She was an eight-year-old, and uh, she thought it looked cool, but my project was dumb. And so she started making a construction kit. And then my son, so... <clears throat> that was Grace's invention kit. Then my son Eli got involved and it became the great invention kit. And so the idea is this is sort of like Lego bricks, but you can make them just by laser cutting. And so um, here's a set of parts that you can cut out and snap together into 3D. And so that's an example of a press fit construction kit. 
and press fit construction is one of the main uses of the laser cutter. It's a 2D cutting tool. We're only cutting out flat parts, but you can snap them together into complex 3D shapes. So there are many kinds of joints. Um, here's a joint gallery. Um, the simplest one is a slot. But one of the problems with the with a simple slot is um, uh, if you have a simple slot that just looks like that, um, if you come in and you're slightly misaligned, it's it's hard to get it exactly in. So a better design has what's called a chamfer. And so when you chamfer, what you do is you make something that looks like this. And the chamfer is doing two very important functions. One of the functions is if you come in slightly misaligned, the chamfer helps straighten it out. It helps, it has a capture area and it helps align your part. And then the second thing is um, we're going to focus on cardboard this week, which has corrugations, so it's slightly springy. And what the chamfer does is it compresses it. As you go into the chamfer, it compresses it into the slot. And so if you compare um, making something with just a rectangular slot and making something with the chamfer, the chamfer is much easier to align and it squeezes better because you've compressed the material a little bit. So chamfer is a bit better. Um, what the chamfer is relying on is there's a static friction and there's a sliding friction. And when you snap it together, it holds and then there's a bit of force you need to overcome that to separate it but you're relying on that, that sliding friction to prevent it from coming apart. So a bit better than the chamfer is if you look at this joint now, um, this one has a little bump and a cutout. So now when you slide the joint together, the bump travels over it and goes into the cutout and clicks. And so this one now is mechanically bistable. To pull this apart, there's an energy you need to get the bump over the slot. So now it's not just friction, but it has a, a bistability. So that's a bit better. The problem with that joint is um, it would behave differently in cardboard versus steel for, for how compressible the material is. So a bit better than that joint is this one. What this one has is a flexure. So instead of just smushing the bump, this one has a beam. And so when you slide it, the beam bends over and then goes into the slot. And so here you can separately design the length of the beam and the thickness of the beam for the material that you're using. So that one, is a click, but you have, it's easier, you have more control over the design. 
And there, to pull the joint apart, you have to unclick it. You have to bend the beam. So then even better is this joint, and this is a pinned joint. So here you slide these parts together, and then you put in a pin. And, and with that, you make an orthogonal constraint um, that uh, pins the joint together. Uh, that um, And so an ex a good example of that is if we go here, let me go to my introductory class. Um, and I believe I showed this. Yeah. Um, if you look in the upper left, this was a former student now at NASA, Kenny Chung. This was an ultralight carbon fiber structure, and it's made by cutting out 2D parts like you're going to make this week. And then they, they line up, and then there's a little pin that goes in that holds them. So the joint holds most of the degrees of freedom, and then there's an orthogonal pin that clips them to hold it all together. And so that's a very complex 3D lattice made out of simple 2D parts. And so there's a hierarchy from a slot to a chamfer to a bistable to a flexure to a pin joint all, that you can make all with a laser cutter. And that goes from easy to design to the strongest properties of the joint. So most people stop at the beginning, but there's many types of laser cutter joints you can make. And so again, you can see for this week why the parametric design is so important. You need to control how deep is the slot, what is the thickness of the slot, what is the clearance around the material. And you need to be within about five thousandths of an inch. So if your joint is too big, it's floppy and doesn't hold together. If it's too small, you can't fit it together. And the window between too small and too big is about five thousandths of an inch. So this week, you're going to be doing more advanced laser cutting. You're not just cutting out the parts. You need to get the sizes down to five thousandths of an inch. And once you do that, you then get to do this. So if you go, go to this lovely marble track, it's these simple cardboard parts, but what holds it all together is you have to get these dimensions exactly right, and then this magic process happens of how they snap together. Now, beginner laser cutting just makes flat things, but you can make things that bend. And so, um, this link is, this is both for machining week, I'm going to show this, and this week. Um, what I'm showing in the upper left is what's called kerfing, where if you don't, again, you can do this both with the machine tool and with the laser cutter. If you don't cut all the way through, you can make a series of slots so that the outside stays continuous, but you can bend it on the inside. <clears throat> and then uh, these other examples are called flexures or living hinges. There's a, <clears throat> a number of different names. You start with a rigid flat material, but by making lots of little beams in it, 
you can make a material that can twist and bend. And so um, there aren't really rigorous design tools yet to automate this, but by making these sort of arrays of flexures, you can put something in the laser cutter that's flat and take out a twisty, bendy, three-dimensional shape with it. And you can go even beyond that. Um, this is a nice uh, thesis from a, um, the lab of a colleague at MIT. And what this is showing is if you just make one beam, it bends. Um, if you make um, two beams and connect them, an object moves horizontally, but it also moves vertically. And then if you link those, you can then make something that looks like this. And so what I'm showing here is one beam bends, two beams make um, horizontal motion, and then by having two beams this way and two beams this way, they cancel, and so an object moves in a straight line. And then by having a set this way and that way, you can move in two degrees of freedom. And so this is a two-dimensional motion platform. Let's say you want to make a machine and you want to position things. This is a moving platform, but there's no gears or bearings or moving parts. It's all made just by flexures, just by parts that bend. And so you can laser cut complex mechanisms. You can make things that twist and rotate and open and close, not by having moving parts, but all just having one structure that has flexures that bend. And so it's a really powerful kind of design. Um, industrially, these are used for very high resolution things. Because there's no gears or bearings, these make very smooth motion. But what's also nice is you can make it in one go in a machine like a laser cutter without needing any other parts. So those are kinds of more advanced design you can do beyond just cutting out flat shapes. So beginner laser cutting is just square boxes. These are things that let you make more complex shapes. Excuse me? Excuse yep. me. In, in this example, I don't really understand how you control the motion of the stage. Oh, I didn't. It's, it's not there. What's missing in that image is motors. So you, you have motors that do positioning. And so if you have a motor with a lead screw that goes in and out, um, it okay. pushes and pulls. Um, so we're going to make machines, any of your machines in your lab have motors, and then they have like rails and bearings. Um, this just doesn't show the motor. The motor pushes against, pushes or pulls on the flexures. And like we'll, we'll push vertically and the stage will move horizontally? No, no, no. It's horizontally. So the, the one I showed is a 2D stage that moves like this. And so you'd have one motor here and one motor here. And, and the, this motor moves it in this direction and this motor moves it in that direction. Um, so yeah. read, the th read the thesis. It'll, it talks about how to make machines out of those. Neil, this is Frosty in Iceland. Yeah. Uh, a quick comment, uh, Inkscape has a very nice uh, extension now for leaving hints. Inkscape does. Which is very easy to use. Yes. Leaving hints extension for Inkscape. 
Um, wow. Um, lovely. So here's a great example of what I was showing you. And um, good for DR phonons. Um, uh, you don't need to use an official tool. You can make this in any of the tools, but it's great to see that. And so I, you know, so this example here, you cut that out and you wrap it around that shape. Um, so yeah, I really encourage you to make something that's not, not flat, something that's curvy. Good to know. I have a comment as well, Neil. Yep. Spillerihaller in Denmark. Yep, go ahead. Uh, I visited Hasso Platzner Institute in uh, former Eastern Germany. They yep. did uh, integrated in 3D printing, the same uh, mechanics as you told about before. And uh, there was a comment from another guy, if you pressed on one side of that internal 3D printed stuff, it will move out in another direction. So they were doing research uh, about that right now using the same mechanics as you talked about. Oh, I see. So, so yeah. So, um, right, I understand. So you can make structures that do things like this. So you, when you push here, you control the height there. Yeah, if you push on the left, it'll move up right. in the top, or they could uh, they could internally 3D print hinges as well, with yeah. using the same mechanics as you just mentioned. Yeah, the person who runs that lab is a good friend of the Fab Lab network again. Um, okay, so uh, for laser cutting, I'm going to talk a bit about the lasers now. Um, uh, laser is light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. And you need to know just a little bit about lasers to really understand laser cutting. Um, and so in any um, laser cutter, um, th there, let's see, if I go back here, there's a, a gain medium with a population inversion. So uh, uh, um, atomically, um, there are levels in the states of the atoms in the laser. And what happens is energy comes in and um, puts the atoms in an excited state. And then there's a stimulated transition uh, to a radiating state. And what that means is any laser has a material that makes gain and a way to pump it, a way to put energy into it. And then once you have that, you put the laser in a cavity. And so there are mirrors in a typical laser um, that has the gain medium in the cavity with energy coming in and light goes back and forth. And each time the light comes into the gain medium, it stimulates making more light, and then some of the light le leaks out. So those are common properties of any laser. Um, one of the properties is um, the wavelength. And then uh, one of the properties is, let's see, if we zoom still further out, if this is our laser, um, uh, the beam has a shape, it has a focus, and um, 
what's called the beam waist is the width the beam comes out. And all those parameters matter for the laser cutter you're going to use. So um, a CO2 laser, the gain medium is carbon dioxide. There's an electric discharge, and it radiates at 10 microns. The light that it makes is in the far infrared. You can't see it. Um, what are called fiber lasers um, typically make light that's one micron. Um, there are solid state lasers, and then there's uh, lasers that make ultra short light. Each of those types of lasers can do different operations. So a CO2 laser is good for cutting wood, cardboard, acrylic, for example. Um, but a CO2 laser, unless it's very, very powerful, doesn't do anything to metal. A fiber laser, on the other hand, um, uh, this was a, a project, a, a demo from a Fab Academy student. Um, a fiber laser, let's see, let me find the right video. Um, at one micron, it's absorbed by metal. And so what you can do with that is in, we're going to cover mechanically machining. Um, the fiber laser lets you actually ablate the copper, and so you can make traces with the laser. You can't do that with the CO2 laser. You can do it with the fiber laser. But the fiber can't cut the material underneath the PCB. And so this, this laser has, laser cutter has actually two lasers in it. It has a fiber laser that can do things like ablate the metal, and it has a CO2 laser that you can then use to cut out the board. Um, but putting both of those in a box gets more expensive. Now that's up to you know, maybe $40,000 for one of those. So the most common laser is a CO2 laser. Now, the CO2 laser, what it actually does is really complex. The laser cutter, it's not a teleporter. It's not magic. The material doesn't disappear. It has to go somewhere. So there's multiple processes. Lasers can burn. They can melt. They can evaporate. They can ablate. But the key thing is when you use a laser, the material coming away from your laser um, has to go somewhere. So you need to be aware of where the material is going. So one of the most important parts of laser cutting is the airflow. Um, and this often is a problem in beginner laser cutting. Um, uh, the, um, so uh, you have the laser coming in from outside um, it's going off of a mirror into your laser cutter. Um, you have the stock that you're cutting. And then there's two kinds of airflow. If you're cutting, for example, cardboard, it really, really wants to catch on fire. You're putting a lot of energy into a very small space. So, um, on the bottom of the laser cutter is an exhaust that's pulling air out, that's drawing. Um, 
but on the top of the laser cutter is a vent that's putting air in. So the air goes in, there's this combustion region, and the exhaust is pulling it out. If all of that works, the products being produced by the laser are sucked away and get taken out. But if the draw underneath isn't strong enough, the material stays around in the cabinet, or if the air assist isn't strong enough, instead of going down, it goes up, and then a lot of bad things happen. So the airflow is really, really important for the laser cutter. And if you see somebody laser cutting and the cabinet inside looks smoky, it's a really, really bad sign. And you should tell everybody to stop because something's gone wrong with your airflow. The airflow should be pulling the material out so you don't see combustion products in the chamber. Um, then the exhaust comes out of the laser and it needs to be vented. Um, there are closed cycle vents you can use in a lab, but they don't work very well and they have filters that get clogged. It's much better to vent outside. But Sorry, the vent. Yep. Um, one quick test you can do to see if your laser cutter has enough suction is at least with the epilogues, and I think it goes for probably a lot of others as well. They, they suck air in from the front and it gets sucked out of the back. So you get this airflow through. Um, take a piece of A4 paper. And if it sticks, if your suction is on and it sticks to the front of the, 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 the input, then your airflow is probably good. That's, that's a good index. Um, the exhaust coming from the laser is hazardous. It's really, really bad to vent it where people breathe. So um, when you laser cut uh, cardboard, you get all kinds of carbon products. When you laser cut plastics, you get chemicals. Um, those need to get vented away from where people are. <clears throat> and in fact, when you're done laser cutting plastic, for a minute or two, it's going to outgas. Nasty chemicals are coming out. If you come into a laser cutter and there's a bad smell, you should yell at somebody who opened the laser cutter too quickly. When, you're fin when you laser cut plastic, you finish, and then you wait a minute or two, let the combustion products get drawn out, and only then open it. If you can smell your laser cutter output, um, you rush taking it out. Um, laser cutter kerf is, um, uh, there's a beam diameter, and for a typical laser cutter, that's about 10 thousandths of an inch. And so if you're cutting along a line here, if the laser moves along a path here, it's gonna cut along the line there. And this diameter is what's called kerf, uh, K-E-R-F. But remember I said, you need to get your dimensions to about five thousandths of an inch for the snap fit to work. But the laser cutter kerf is maybe 10 thousandths of an inch. And so that means you need to do what's called offsetting. And again, this is not beginner, but more advanced laser cutting. We're gonna cover uh, this much more in the machine week, but because of the diameter of the laser beam, it means you don't draw it on the line at the edge of your shape. You need to offset it a little bit beyond the shape. And so, um, 
good laser cutter drivers know how to do offsetting. And so, for example, in the, the mods workflow I showed you, um, if we make this, um, this um, setting is setting the offsetting. So if I calculate it, um, that's the path it's going to follow. Um, but if I tell it my laser is a, a, a bigger beam and I recalculate it, what it's going to do is the size of the part's going to change a little bit to account for the diameter of the beam. That's called offsetting, and we're going to learn a lot about that when we do uh, machining, uh, large format machining. So now we come to safety. Um, all laser cutters really want to catch on fire. They're trying very hard to ignite themselves. You're putting a lot of power into a very little space. Their job, in a sense, is to catch on fire, but keep it contained. Um, this is in my lab, and a couple years back, there was a student using the laser cutter, and it was running. He was doing a big job. He got bored and went to read his email, and then he wondered why there were all these sirens outside, and what he had missed was the belt that moves the mirror in the laser cutter broke. The beam stopped moving and kept staying in one place. It ignited the material on fire. It set the laser cutter on fire, and the fire trucks came. And um, luckily, the building didn't burn down. Almost every fab lab has had a laser cutter fire like that. So one of the things you should do if you haven't done it is paint a red line on the floor around your laser cutter. And when you're using a laser cutter, you're forbidden to cross that line. The reason is laser cutters are interlocked. If the material begins to ignite, if you just open the lid for a small um, fire, it'll just, the laser stops and that's all. Um, if it's more serious, you should have next to your laser something to smother it. If you have like just, just something that fills the bed, you drop on it. As soon as you smother it, it stops getting air and won't go further. It's very, very easy when, when the laser cutter begins to ignite to stop the cutting, but not if it gets too far. And so out of all the tools we're going to cover, this is the one that you can never turn your back on. You can't get lulled into a false sense of security. You always need to be supervising it. If you ever see a laser cutter running with no, somebody nearby, yell at them. Laser cutters have to stay supervised. There are many, many horror stories of fires in fab labs. You always need to be prepared for a fire, know how to put it out, and watch it closely. It, it looks innocent, but it's one of the most dangerous tools if you use it with the wrong settings and ignore it. So now up to materials. Uh, cardboard is one of my favorite materials. I really recommend focusing on cardboard. You could do much of this class just with cardboard. Um, uh, most famous architects have a phase where they make cardboard furniture. Um, you can make beautiful furniture out of cardboard. Um, 
Cardboard is graded by a few parameters, and one of the key ones is the edge crush test. And so in the US version, it's ECT, and weak cardboard, if you bend it, will kink. Heavy cardboard, if you bend it, will bow. And cardboard that kinks is bad for laser cutting. If it kinks when you bend it, with a sharp corner, when you try to assemble it, it'll just crush and smush. Stronger heavyweight cardboard, um, if it bows when you bend it, it means it's a little springy and it'll make good joints. And so to buy it commercially, a, a place we source it is these heavy duty pads. These are used for corrugated pads. And these are great. They're you're, about a dollar each for these big sheets and it makes beautiful cardboard structures. But the other thing from here on out is every time you get a box in your lab or at home or where you work, look at the box, just bend a flap. And if the flap bows rather than kinks, that's heavy duty cardboard and cut the box up and it's great material for your lab. And so for this week on the laser cutter, you should really focus on cardboard. But later in the class, you could do all of your projects in cardboard, or at least you can do the design development cardboard. It's light, cheap, strong, but renewable, friendly, recyclable. Um, I really encourage using cardboard as much as you can. Um, Laser cutters are specced by power. Um, small ones are tens of watts. Bigger ones you might have are hundreds of watts and industrial ones are thousands of watts. Um, a 50 watt scale laser cutter is enough to cut, for example, this kind of plywood. Um, plywood like this, cheap plywood, the thickness varies quite a bit. This sort of plywood, that this is from a model maker, has a smooth surface with much tighter controls of dimensions. And this stuff laser cuts beautifully and makes really nice uh, structures. And this is easy to cut with, you know, sort of 50 to 100 watt scale power um, laser cutter. Uh, acrylic is popular for laser cutting. This, this is uh, a vendor. There's lots of different types of acrylic. Um, you can cut up to about, say, a quarter of an inch with a sort of 50 to 100 watt laser cutter. Um, uh, for the laser cutter, um, um, let's see. Yeah, I'll, I'll come to the settings. Um, if you cut too fast, it doesn't go through. If you cut too slow with too much power, it melts. But with the right setting, acrylic laser cuts nicely. Um, I don't like it as much, again, just because it's less recyclable than cardboard, um, less friendly, but it's a very common material. Um, when you laser cut card uh, acrylic, um, there are really good acrylic glues. And what these can do is they actually dissolve the acrylic. So when you paint the acrylic glue and join the parts together, it's not just a glue, you're actually making an acrylic to acrylic bond. So it's very, there's nice acrylic, special adhesives for acrylic. Um, the other thing you can do is um, acrylic is easy to heat and bend. This was somebody's tutorial on, um, you can laser cut acrylic 
And then to make something that looks like this, you have to make a jig. And then you can either, um, once it's in the jig, um, just aim a hot air gun at it to soften it. Or you can make a special bending fixture where you have a heater wire. So I showed you the hot wire cutter. You can use a heated wire in a structure like this to make a, a jig for bending acrylic. But it's very easy to bend acrylic to make curvy uh, structures. Um, Neil, I'm not sure whether you've seen the um, uh, laser origami project by some folks in uh, uh, from the Hasso Plattner Institute. It's laser yeah. origami, and they basically turned their laser cutter into something that also bends. Yeah, th that was Stephanie Mueller, who's now in fact at MIT. Um, oh yeah, that's right. That's her exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, So um, th 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 what, what she's doing is you uh, laser cut, and then she's using the laser to go back and forth to heat the material. She's defocusing it a bit, and now she's softening it, and so and then it's bending away. Yeah, I'll add a link to that one also. So once again, this comes back to beginner laser cutting is flat sheets and square boxes but it's one more way you can make curvy things starting from flat things. Um, Delrin, let's see, I think I have, um, uh, this is Delrin. Um, it has various names, acetyl, palm, sometimes in Europe. Uh, Delrin laser cuts nicely. Um, again, you need to track the combustion products. Um, compared to acrylic, what's nice about Delrin is it's a bit more elastic. If you um, start to load acrylic, it'll crack fairly quickly. Um, Delrin bends. It's got a wider range of um, stress-strain deformation. And so Delrin is nice for structures that need a little bit of elasticity. Uh, um, it's a, it behaves better when you bend. It um, laser cuts nicely. Uh, polycarbonate is um, things like uh, when you go into a bank and there's bulletproof see-through material, um, it's a really, really tough material. Um, it doesn't laser cut nicely. Unless you have a really powerful laser, it just chars and smokes. And then PVC is really bad. PVC plastic in the laser cutter releases chlorine products that are bad for you to breathe, that are bad for your laser cutter. Um, it's hard to tell if I just give you a piece of plastic what it is. Um, if you burn in a flame a piece of plastic and you see any color, that's a good index. It doesn't go in the laser cutter. But the real point is you should never put in a laser cutter a material you don't know where it came from. Acrylic is fine unless you have a super laser polycarbon, it's not. You need to know your material. So don't laser cut random plastic. Random cardboard is fine. Random plastic, stay away from. You really know the, need to know the pedigree of the material. Metal doesn't go into most laser cutters. Um, a really heavy-duty laser cutter, like the one I showed you, that's kilowatts, 
of short wavelength light can cut metal. Um, in a CO2 laser, um, you never put anything shiny in it. If you put a piece of metal in the CO2 laser, all that it does is bounce the laser energy right back into the laser, and that's bad. So metal doesn't go into entry-level laser cutters. Don't even try, just nothing shiny goes into it. Um, related to that, um, uh, let's see, I don't have, a, I'll add a note to this. Um, when you laser cut, um, you're releasing these combustion products in the chamber. And if you're laser cutting a messy material, there's a lot of them, and eventually they start getting deposited on the lens. If you laser cut with a dirty lens, after a little bit, the lens helpfully explodes. The, the lens that's this high reflecting material absorbs the laser energy and eventually just cracks or shatters. That's not dangerous for you, but it's a few hundred dollar mistake. So um, one of the skills you'll learn is cleaning laser optics. You don't scrub it hard because it's this beautiful reflecting material. It has to be a really good mirror to, for the laser to work, but you need to keep it clean. When there's a lot of crud in your laser, you periodically clean the optics. Um, and if you get it wrong, you'll damage the optics because they absorb rather than transmit the energy. So part of your training will be keeping it clean. Mage C, go ahead. What about PMMA, PMMA as plastic? Um, poly, uh, you're saying, can you laser cut PMMA? Yes, well, we, we use it a lot and uh, and, uh, and I find it useful, but how does it compare to acrylic? Like, is it? Um, let's see, I don't know in the laser cutter. Um, I cast PMA, PMMA, I've never laser cut it. I don't know. Well, it is our, oh, no, our sorry. Go to... oh, PMMA is just plexiglass, sorry. Yeah. Um, sorry, I'm mixing. Yeah, no, that laser cuts fine. There's also yep. Epilogue is sending a plastic called IPI, IPI laser plastics. Do you know about it? No. I've never heard of that. Yeah, it's called IPI. And they never sent it together with the, with the machine. Never saw it before, but I'm curious about it. IPI. Uh, look into it. Oh, no. It, it just, this says IPI is the vendor. According to this, it sounds like it's just a special acrylic. IPI is just the vendor. It's not a type of plastic. And, and also about the ventilation, if we don't yep. use inside ventilation uh, where we need to have filters, we can just do an outside ventilation and we don't put any filters. We just put all the exhaust outside. Right, but, but the crucial thing to that is you can vent directly to the outside but not to people. And so, like, you know, in the lab I run at MIT where we have lots of lasers, um, this is similar to chemical fume hoods. There are fans on our building that shoot it out of the top, and they're very fast fans that shoot it up into the atmosphere. And so you need, you, you can vent directly outside. It's much better than using filters, but you need a fast fan shooting it away from where people breathe it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so it's basically, try to, to get it. Vented. 
like like Neil was saying, um, try to get it above the building. Because uh, if you vent it to the side of the building, what usually happens is if you have any wind, it accumulates in a corner, and the corner is usually where either your entrance or your open window is. And you make your neighbors very unhappy. Yes. But, but what you really, really, really want to fight to vent outside from the top of your building, um, the laser is much, much happier than the, the fan, th than the closed cycle ones that don't work very well. Yeah. So finally, um, for the laser, there's the power. Too much power, you burn and melt. Too little, you don't go through. For some materials, you can use one pass. Some materials, you need a few pass. There's the speed. Um, too slow, and you're dumping too much energy in one place. Too fast, you don't go through. And then most of these lasers are pulsed. And so there's a pulse rate. And that's a really important setting. If the pulses are too close together, you're for example, in cutting acrylic, um, it starts to melt back. You're putting too much energy in one place. If the pulses are too far apart, there's gaps. And so you want to relate the, the speed the laser is pulsing to the rate it takes to go through the material. Um, lasers have a coordinate system you need to understand, typically counting down from the top. A beginner problem is sometimes your part ends up in the wrong place. And then um, most laser cutters have a mode where they vectorize, where they move continuously, and where they raster, where they just go back and forth. Vectorization you use for cutting, rasterizing you use for engraving, but there's interesting crossover, there's boundaries between them. Sometimes when you wanna cut really complex fine features, it's preferable to raster. Conversely, Rastering um, varies the laser power, and for some purposes, it's actually better to engrave by using the laser like a toolpath where you nest paths. Um, and so the example I showed you of half toning, this was done not by rastering, but just by using vectors to make lots of little circles. And so often there's a lot of confusion about how they relate and which is better for work which, and there's interesting crossover cases, but roughly you raster to engrave images and you vectorize to cut things out. So finally, um, the group assignment is together, take your laser, take the materials you're gonna use and look at, um, make some simple test cuts where you vary the power and the speed and look at how the output changes with the power and the speed and the rate. And you'll see what happens if you go too slow or too fast. And then from that, come up with the settings for your laser that are your local lab settings. Um, another thing to do is to um, measure the kerf. So make like a one centimeter square, cut it out, but see the actual size to measure how much you need to offset for the diameter of the tool. Um, laser tubes have a lifetime. They only typically last for a few years. And so these numbers won't change day to day, but they'll change over a few years in the lifetime of your tube. And so 
rather than each student doing it separately as a group, I want you to measure and this can individual students can link to this on your class site, make a group page characterizing your laser. Then cut something on the vinyl cutter, just anything, uh, a sticker. Let's see, it happens right now, the focus on the video is Fab Lab Sept and the person there has a Fab sticker on his laptop with the blue shirt. So if you just turn it at the screen, so there's just a simple, Fab cut out on the vinyl cutter and stuck on the laptop. You, you know, that, that, that's a model. Okay, so, so Lambert is showing a. a okay, this is my. Yeah, this is my sticker I made for with my face on my laptop. So I can show you. Okay, so that's Lambert on Lambert's laptop. And you'll be amazed. The vinyl cutter can do really surprising detail. Um, so make anything with the vinyl cutter, but you know, laptop stickers are a good one. And Lambert, that's a nice example. And then the assignment is make a construction kit on the laser cutter. Um, unless there's a really good reason, do it in cardboard. And I want it to be parametric. So when you've designed it, if the cardboard changes thickness, you have a parameter that lets you adjust that. Um, I want you to account for the diameter of the beam of the laser. We'll talk more about it laser later, but I want you to figure out not the size you designed, but what you need to do for the size to actually move the laser to get the final shape right. And then what I'd like you to do as a design exercise this week is make the kit so it's not just one thing, but you can assemble it in more than one way. So make some parts that you can assemble in multiple ways as a design exercise. And um, again, the marble track is a fun example. People have done all sorts of fun stuff. People have made trees and furniture, but just to start thinking about design, um, design a kit you can assemble in multiple ways. Okay. Questions or comments? We've been engraving on iPhones and on MacBooks. Anything anodized? Uh, what do you think about that? Is it because you're yeah. talking about the shiny? So, yeah. So you really want to stay away from shiny things that reflect into it. But one of the things you can do is, uh, depending on the wavelength of your laser and the type of material, um, it you know if it's not very shiny, it might absorb it directly. But um, you can paint um, co coatings like carbon inks that are easy to remove. And typically if you have something like, um, you, know, you can even use like smoke from a candle, but if you paint like an easily removed paint or ink on the surface, that material is strongly absorbing and then it kind of emblates underneath. And so if you read about it, you'll find all kinds of different coatings you designed to use in laser cutters to absorb rather than reflect the laser energy. And then you just wash it off at the end. But would it, if it, uh, the aluminum surface, would it reflect back to the laser, damage the laser maybe? I, I don't know, I'm just asking so, because. Yeah, again, it all depends on your laser, the optics and the material, but roughly shiny metal is really dangerous for the laser. Typically rougher, more anodized material, it, um, it's more diffuse and so that's less of a problem.
Bas, you're going to say something? Oh no, I was mentioning indeed. Um, indeed, anodized materials are are typically fine with the with the epilog laser cutters. Um, and uh, of course, it, it's, it's we're talking about shiny metals and like shiny other shiny things like glass are also perfectly fine. But again, with anodized metal, a typical laser, if it's not that powerful, just doesn't do much. But if you put a coating on it, um, no, the, 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 the actually anodized anodized aluminum, specifically anodized aluminum. Other anodized metals I can't say for, but specifically anodized aluminum with the typical laser cutter we have in the Fab Lab, the 40 watt. Epilogue Mini, it's it's just fine. It's actually one of the recommended materials that works. It's in the, also, the standard guidebook. But it also depends on the type of anodization, and also um, some anodization doesn't have um, ink, some have, it has ink in. Um, let's see, this is uh, Lucio on the... Uh, this is a uh, logo of uh, my lab in China. Okay. And I, 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 I engrave there, and then I use the marker, and it's the color will stick. So it's like uh, I can uh, engrave in color, but yeah, a bit of a cheat, uh, the color, but yeah. Okay, good. And again, if you put like uh, paints or coatings on it, then the laser, um, it both preferentially absorbs it and it kind of bonds with the material. Um, okay. okay. Were there final comments? Yeah, well, just a quick question. When working with uh, with thick materials, uh, the laser goes out of focus after maybe 10 or, or, or 12 millimeter. What is the, the limit you would say in the thickness of material a laser cutter oh, can handle? Um, you don't go beyond that. In the, uh, uh, there's a depth of focus for the laser. And um, if you're at a material so thick, you have to worry about the depth of focus um, you don't use a laser. And so um, at that point, um, you know, if it's machinable, you go to machine tools and I'll cover lots of ways to do it. Um, thicker materials for the laser cutter, the, the tool of choice is the water jet. That's why entry level water jets are so exciting to come. There's a real thick limit to the thickness you can use a laser on because of the depth of focus. I mean, there are neat things you can do. There's processes where you use the depth of focus intentionally to make features inside a material rather than cutting through it, but you can't make deep cuts with a laser cutter. Okay. Exactly, and making making uh, features like engraving or rostering on the um, uh, on the laser cutter, um, like the epilogues, you can you can actually buy a longer focus lens for it, which also which again has a has a greater has a greater focal focal depth than the standard lens that comes with it. Yeah, most of the lasers have options for long working distance optics. Um, at, at some trade-off with the feature size. Yeah, but nothing uh, beside 10 millimeter. Not just laser cutters aren't for that. Okay. Well, we change the lens. Hi. Yeah, go ahead. Well, well, we change the lens. It changes the curve of the cutting, right? Right. So, so uh, because of the. They're called Gaussian optics. There's this beam wave. There's a trade-off between how tightly you focus it and the feature size you can get. And so there's a trade-off between the depth of focus. You can get a, a tighter beam focus with a steeper angle coming in, but it's a shallower um, depth of cut. That's right. So, so the length, the thickness, and the and the all the 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 the, 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 the tube. Change the, the curve regularly. 
that's right. They're all coupled. That's part of what I want you to do in the group project is actually measure those for your lab. Uh, you know, I think it'll be eye-opening how big the curve is. And so beginner laser cuts draw on the line, but quickly you'll learn you want to offset the beam out of it. Um, let's wrap up now. We're about 10 minutes over. So um, uh, happy laser cutting recitation Monday um, on cities. And remember the three parts for this week, the group assignment, the vinyl cutting, and then the parametric construction kit. And we'll pick up next week. And next week we begin making electronics. Okay, happy cutting. Bye-bye. Bye, Neil. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye.